The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another telemedicine innovator that is expanding her reach with technology. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Ruth Spaulding, therapist and owner of Live Well Counseling in Michigan. Ruth, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for making the time today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience all about you and your background? Sure. I'm a clinical social worker and licensed to practice independently in the state of Michigan. I earned my Master of Social Work degree from the University of Michigan. And I have been practicing for about five years now. I founded Live Well Counseling earlier this year. And so I just opened my private practice. And I work a lot with folks who are stressed out, depressed. A lot of the folks that I work with also have a history of growing up in difficult families. They had hard childhoods. And that's the type of work that I do. Sounds very interesting. I think you also gave us a 10,000-foot overview of LiveWell. Is there anything mm-hmm. else you do in your practice? I have partnered with an international organization to work with domestic violence survivors. It's an international organization because what can happen when you're in a domestic violence situation and you're in a foreign country is that sometimes you can end up sort of trapped there. And that's one of the ways that I use telemedicine to help folks out is that I provide counseling to folks as sort of a bridge stopgap measure until they can get in-person counseling. Most of the folks I see through that organization do need longer-term care. And sometimes telemedicine is kind of the best option for giving someone something so that they can make it to getting longer-term counseling. Perfect. Let's start at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. With a basic question, how specifically do you use telemedicine in your counseling? There are two platforms that I use that are secure. Right now, we're talking on Skype, which is great, but it's actually not secure in terms of HIPAA or in terms of being secure enough that I would feel confident in the conversation being confidential. And the reason why is because the U.S. government asked if some organizations could build a backdoor into the code, and Skype complied with that. So there is a backdoor in the encryption. What I use are services that are fully encrypted with no backdoor. So I use Breakthrough, and anyone can go to Breakthrough.com and look for therapists online. If you're in the U.S. or abroad, you can find a therapist on Breakthrough. But I also use Doxy, doxy doxy.me. It's a service that is free. There's a small fee with Breakthrough. Doxy's free for me and for the person using it. 
it's basically almost exactly like Skype, except it's actually HIPAA compliant. I have a business agreement signed with Doxy to that effect. And I use these services to meet with people and provide counseling almost as if I meet with a person in person. There's usually very little difference when I'm able to see someone via doxy or breakthrough than in person. There are some things that you miss, like body language and that kind of thing, but I'm normally able to provide what you would normally get in counseling. The only difference is, is when the person I'm working with does not have a reliable internet connection and I have to do phone sessions with that person. And that is not quite the same thing and usually is not the same thing as getting counseling one-to-one in person. So it's a little bit different. It's a lot more like supportive counseling than true therapy, but that's how I use it. Got it. So the video is very important to you. You know, it is. And um, not just for me understanding how that person's doing or how they're feeling. When I see people in person, and I do see people in person at my practice, their body language tells me so much. And I can usually see quite a lot in someone's face. But when I don't have that, it is a lot harder for me. One of the things that's hard for me is timing responses And the other thing, too, is if someone is crying, it can sometimes be hard for me to make sure I understood them well enough. Sometimes people need to really cry and sob it out, but sometimes that also can affect their enunciation and can make it sometimes harder to understand. But if I can see them, I can fill in the gaps much easier. And I think it's also important for them to be able to see my face I think it's important that I'm able to show when I'm concerned and not just have to wait for the right moment to say something back. Right. What are the legal issues regarding telemedicine for you, licensure, et cetera? Well, in the United States, they have defined where you receive services by the state that you live in. And this is something that folks who live on the borderline of states have had to deal with. Even if the person crosses over and sees you in person in that office, where they live is where you need to be licensed. I'm licensed to practice in the state of Michigan, and I can serve anyone in the state of Michigan. And through some international organizations, I have been providing supportive counseling to folks. But I can't really see someone in another state if they're stateside because I'm not licensed in those other states. And I think that that's something that we're going to need to change in the next five to 10 years. We really need national licensure, not just so when a social worker moves to a different state, they don't have to reapply all over again, but also so that we can better serve people across state lines, especially with telemedicine, since a lot of folks who are in harder to serve areas are just harder to get to physically. A lot of the folks that I, when I do see folks on telemedicine, the reason they're coming to me is because there isn't a great in-person option most of the time. If they could see someone in person, they would, but they can't. (laughs) And we really need to address the fact that we have a shortage of providers. We have a shortage of psychiatrists, and there are lots of areas where we have a shortage of therapists as well. And I think telemedicine is the way to bridge that gap, but unfortunately, licensure and insurance are kind of a little bit behind the technology that we have. You're being very polite. 
<laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> Tell us a little more about the work you do internationally. I'm really curious about it. Well, I've partnered with an organization, and uh, they refer folks to me that come to them. And I'm actually working on hoping to connect with other organizations to help out folks overseas. I think that's one of the things that if you are in a foreign country, either because you signed up to teach English abroad or you're coming to me through that organization and you're in a domestic violence situation, you want to talk to an American. You want to talk to someone you know. And there are lots of times where those folks can't get treatment in the country that they're in. Sometimes they're in a country where therapy doesn't really exist. There isn't a therapist. Sometimes there's not even a toilet. Uh, they can get a phone sometimes, but that's about it. But depending on where they are. But also, if they're not a citizen and their visa has lapsed, they may not be able to get access to services because their legal status is questionable. And that is something that can be rough on folks. And obviously, there's a need that needs to be met there. Most of the work I do is through that organization. So I get referrals from them. They'll ask me if I have the ability to see someone. And if I do, I say yes. And I usually have to pick the safest option for contact. If someone does not have a reliable internet connection, and if they are worried that the internet that they can use on their phone, like their data, your data gets monitored, right? So if there's a spike in your data or if something else, or if they're worried that there's going to be some way to track it down and they are feel more comfortable talking to me on the phone, then that's the way they do it. Other people feel much more comfortable talking to me via chat because they're much more savvy and know how to hide their tracks online and don't know how to delete or hide a conversation on the call log. And so I do whatever is safest for them, whatever they think they are most likely to be able to call me and not endanger themselves in any kind of way, or especially if they have left already and don't want anyone to pick up on where they are, or if they are still in that situation and still trying to get out. Usually a lot of their contact with other folks is monitored. And so we both try to make a plan that keeps them safe. Are there any ethics issues regarding when you practice via telemedicine? Yes, there are. First of all, can I actually meet this person's need with telemedicine? That is the thing that I have to ask myself every time I take someone on. When you meet with someone in person and you know the local resources in an area, it is much easier to meet their needs if a crisis comes up for them. If they need to go to the ER you can send them to the ER. If they need an increase in their medications, you can very quickly get in contact with a doctor. If there's a 12-hour difference, if you're working with someone internationally, first of all, if there's a 12-hour difference between you and that person, logistically contacting any of their other providers becomes much more difficult. Second of all, you're not usually familiar with the resources in the area. And this is why I like to partner with an organization to help folks overseas. That organization, they are assigned a case manager who is taking care of their needs, and I can update that person. Hey, this person is clearly worse than their baseline. We need to make sure that they have these resources because things are getting worse for them. 
And I can meet that person's need because I am partnered with that organization. So the referrals I get through them, I feel great working with those people because I know that I can meet their need. Now, if someone is frequently in the hospital due to suicide attempts and there are providers in the area that they could see, that would be one of those times where I would wonder, can I really meet their need? Because it sounds like they are at very high risk. It sounds like they are likely to have to go back to the hospital soon and need much more coordination than I can provide. Is the person using online therapy to say that they're getting therapy and not addressing their issues like for agoraphobia, for example? It's a great stepping stone for someone. If they really can't get out of the house but know they need help, they could get therapy from the comfort of their own home with the goal of increasing their time outside of the home and maybe going to see a provider in their area. If I keep that person as a telemedicine client for over a year, am I really doing them any favors? I think that would be an unethical practice. However, there are lots of reasons that people would need to use that convenience. One of the other things with telemedicine is some of the folks I see are caregivers. So they have an elderly parent at home or a small kid with special needs, and they can't drive an hour to an appointment, especially I'm in rural northern Michigan. So most people are willing to drive an hour, maybe sometimes even two for an appointment. But if you have someone at home that you need to take care of, can you really get them through a very long car ride, an hour-long appointment, and then get them home, or do you risk it and leave them at home, that kind of thing. I'm happy to serve folks who have that kind of situation going on, because obviously they have someone that they need to take care of and aren't just using the distance of telemedicine as a crutch to further their problem, which would be the case with an agoraphobic patient who just isn't making progress in terms of going out more and... I don't think you could ethically keep an agoraphobic patient on long term since they would clearly be using that as a way to kind of enable the problematic symptoms that they have. So those are the ethical issues you really have to consider when you're taking someone on. Can you really meet their need? Can you actually help them with the problem that they have? Or is telemedicine maybe enabling an issue? And are you going to be able to take care of them if things get worse? And that's why I think partnering with an organization is the most helpful. Got it. I'm going to lob you a softball here because I think I know the answer, but does telemedicine work? Is it really effective for therapy? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that is a softball. Thanks. Yes, it works. The most important thing is that the rapport that you establish with someone is the most important. I've had plenty of folks see gains in pretty short period of time with telemedicine, roughly on the same schedule as the folks I see in person. I don't really see a difference. It would be interesting if we could actually study in terms of how quickly people get better versus one or the other. I mean, there are some studies that show they're just as effective. I don't think they looked at frequency or time, but yeah, all my clients get better, regardless of whether or not they see me in person or via the internet. And I'm very grateful for that. I think that more people who have used telemedicine 
should be coming out. It would be nice if there wasn't such a stigma for getting treatment that folks could say that they use that. Because there are lots of providers who are willing to talk about the efficacy of telemedicine. And telemedicine is booming. I mean, that's why you're talking to me, right? It's, right. Uh, it's the next big thing. And lots of providers know that this is effective and a great way to reach people who normally wouldn't get care. And I think that folks who have had it, there's going to start to be a critical mass of folks and it's going to become very clear and just generally widely accepted that this is effective, just like we saw with in-person therapy, right? So it used to be this weird thing <laughs> that, that was pretty stigmatized and now it's more and more normal for people to go see a therapist in person. And I think it's just going to be the same thing. It's going to be more and more normal to see a therapist on your tablet or on your phone. And it's just going to be accepted as what you do. I agree with you. I had a, another interview today. The gentleman's name was Dr. Roy Schoenberg, the CEO of American Well. And these two quotes can work toward the pessimism I displayed earlier when I said you were being nice. <laughs> One, he said, telehealth is moving forward at the pace of consumer electronics, not the traditional pace of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And secondly, telehealth is becoming the fastest adopted healthcare benefit in American history. Those two things, I think, can give us lots of confidence that telemedicine, telehealth is really moving forward quickly. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think a big part of that. I'm a millennial, and I think that my generation and the next generation are so used to using technology that, of course, we're going to incorporate that when we go look for a therapist. That's just second nature to us. And I think that that's a big part of it, is that the generation coming up is so used to scheduling Skype dates with friends who are across the country and so used to managing their lives with the internet and with their phone that... It just seems second nature to use those as tools in their path toward getting better, toward wellness. Absolutely. Ruth, as we finish up here, before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about your work at Live Well Counseling? Yes, I'd love for folks to visit my website. My website is livewellcounselingnwmi.org. And the NWMI stands for Northwestern Michigan which is where I'm located. I have an office in Traverse City. And I'd love for folks to visit my webpage. And you can also send me an email. Email is ruth at livewellcounselingnwmi.org. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Sure thing. And that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Ruth Spaulding, I'm Joe Lavelle. And we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. <laughs>